0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. America's sugar farmers practicing sustainability to protect the environment and support jobs, communities, and consumers. Learn more at SugarAlliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congressman Dusty Johnson. Next. America's sugar farmers have spent decades investing in sustainability, being good stewards of the environment and protecting our air, land, and water as a personal mission for sugar growers. Many of America's sugar growers are multi-generational farmers, and sustainability means a great deal more than just preserving this legacy. It also means supporting sugar workers, healthy communities, and the consumers who rely on this essential ingredient. The sugar industry's commitment to sustainability is a commitment to a brighter future for us all. And it's made possible by America's no-cost sugar policy. Learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Aside from the immediate need of a government spending bill, one of the big questions before the nation of the lame duck session is if Congress can approve another coronavirus relief package. South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson says, despite good third-quarter growth, America needs help. Well, I,
1: I still think we need a targeted COVID package, and, and I voted against, you know, the, the huge two and a half trillion $3 trillion packages that the Speaker has put on the floor before, in part because the economy, certain segments of the economy, really have recovered pretty well. And I think you've seen those with those recent numbers that that continues, but, you know, it still takes a lot of money to keep our kids in school and keep them safe. You know, air handling equipment, protective equipment, additional staffing. You know, I'm not offended by the idea of, you know, government helping to make sure the kids are safe. I also think there are some targeted industries uh, that are not experiencing that kind of 33 percent growth. I mean, if you're in the movie theater industry or if you're uh, in the restaurant business, you're just getting slaughtered. And if we want that industry if we want those niches to be able to survive the valley of the shadow of death i think some targeted focused relief would make a ton of sense
0: congresswoman Spanberger, just a couple of weeks on this same program spoke to the coalition that was put together of both democrats and republicans talking about a bill and said we'd be better off to quit talking about how much it costs and talk more importantly about the programs that are needed and the duration
1: yeah, I think that's really well said. I mean, Abigail Spanberger, she's a hard-working member of Congress who does her homework, and she and I have worked together a lot on this. Uh, you know, and, and this—I mean, even this week, uh, we've had uh, conversations with members of the Senate and members of the House, both parties, that have come together who have said much of that same thing. And and that's—you know—of course, the dollars do matter. I mean, uh, you know, even if you stuffed a five-trillion-dollar package with all the right stuff, it's still too big but i think abigail's point is good people get hung up on whether the number is 900 billion or 1.1 trillion or 842 billion uh, that matters but uh, what what uh, matters maybe even a little bit more is what is inside the thing
0: can you flip a coin on whether it happens in the lame duck or not
1: yeah i think there's a 60 or 65% chance it happens i know it doesn't look that way from the outside uh, looking in you know, It continues to be that a lot of the major players are kind of slow-walking this thing, which is as frustrating to me as it can be. I just don't understand why uh, why they're not hustling. I mean, I, I do think a deal is there to be had, but the reason I'm a little optimistic is there are a group of us who aren't necessarily in leadership but are dedicated to get something done. Uh, again, Senate, House, Democrat, Republican, we're making progress, and, you know, we have I think some indications uh, from uh, the White House that, that uh, they'd be willing to sign something in the lame duck as well. So, you know, we just got to keep working.
0: So CFAP 1 and CFAP 2 provided uh, funds for various segments of agriculture. Hog farmers were still left out. And for the ethanol industry, there's been no help so far. So are they above the line that could see some support from a new COVID package?
1: I think when we were talking three months ago, I mean, when a bipartisan group of us put together a package, you know, depending on how you counted, it, it was between 1.2 trillion and 1.8 trillion. You know, I fought uh, like the Dickens to have those folks included in that package, and they were. And we were getting pretty good momentum on that package, and then Justice Ginsburg died, and all of the bipartisan spirit in Washington D.C. Uh, evaporated in, in a heartbeat. and And uh, frankly, that that confirmation battle uh, did uh, take some steam out of the engine. Uh, Clearly, we should have passed COVID relief in a targeted way three months ago. The country would be better off as a result. But now that we're here, uh, there is more of a sense of wanting to do something uh, quite a little bit smaller, quite a little bit more focused. It's going to be a lot more difficult uh to get biofuels and uh you know hog farmers uh, taken care as a part of that that's not to say that there isn't a need it's just there are going to be a lot of specialized needs that would be left out of a very skinny package
0: so from the perspective of agriculture what are the lessons that should be learned from covid
1: well i think uh covid highlighted some weaknesses in the food supply chain and i say highlighted because it didn't it didn't so much create them as shine a spotlight on them you know, I'll talk about my friends in, in the cattle industry. I mean, the the numbers were just crazy. I mean, we saw the price on the hoof go down, down, down. We saw the meat price up, up, up. And that's clearly not a very efficient market. I mean, I think there are some uh, weaknesses uh, within that marketplace. And I think there are some things we can do to try to smooth out some of those most jagged edges. Now, a lot of the ideas that members of Congress throw out are they're pretty aspirational. I mean, they're really swinging for the fences. It's hard to imagine that some of these big ideas could, could ever get done. I'm just, I'm a guy who doesn't like howl at the moon. I mean, I actually do want to make progress. So I pulled together with uh, some bipartisan colleagues the Price Act. Uh, we're not swinging for the fences there. We're trying to string together singles and doubles. It's 12 really good ideas, uh, that improve transparency, improve how we handle forage. Uh, improve the ability of state-inspected processors to sell ac- across straight state lines, uh, direct to consumers. Um, and I think those things taken together uh, are going to address a lot of the weaknesses that COVID highlighted in the food supply chain.
0: So what is the vehicle that brings the Price Act to law? Well, I think there are a few of them. I mean,
1: admittedly, in the 116th, you know, we're running out of options. Uh, you always look at the stuff that must pass, and so on December 11th, you know, we we don't have government funding anymore. we got to get that taken care of. That is not a very likely vehicle for the Price Act at this point. Uh, There's a high level of interest in in getting a relatively clean spending deal done, and listen, I'm not interested in standing in the way of that. I mean, of course I want these policies enacted, but uh, if if we come together and say we're going to fund the government and take care of business without putting everybody's uh, you know legislation on it. I get it. I mean, I, I understand that approach. You know, we have mandatory price reporting uh, that that's going to need to get taken care of in the next year. There are some absolutely uh, some improvements from the Price Act that could be incorporated into that. Uh, again, uh, the new leaders on both sides of the AG committee are going to need to try to figure out: uh, do they want a relatively clean reauthorization, or do they want to make some serious reforms? And then if that doesn't happen, then I think we need to continue to build momentum. Uh, you know, good things in Congress don't always happen very quickly. And, in fact, I think it was Churchill who said you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after they've exhausted all other options. And so sometimes it takes a little while. And so if the worst-case scenario is, um, you know, we continue to build on the Price Act so that it, it in essence, is the foundation, uh, the framework For a cattle title in the next farm bill, Uh, the next farm bill, I mean, we're going to start working on that in earnest here in the next Congress. Uh, We should be focused on that as well.
0: So looking on the horizon at 2021, eh, there is little doubt now that this Biden administration will have a very strong emphasis on climate change. It can look no further than John Kerry, a special envoy on climate policy, a czar to be appointed uh, to uh, address climate Do you see this as a positive? Do you see this as a challenge for agriculture from this administration?
1: Well, clearly, it's both a challenge and an opportunity. I mean, those of us uh, who love ag country understand the leading role that we have taken in environmental stewardship, and and even specifically to carbon in recent decades. Uh, You know, we need to tell that story and uh, we need to do it together, right? I mean, ultimately, if if ag is going to uh, be better positioned to seize some of these opportunities, we're going to need to have Democrats and Republicans from farm country working together. We're going to need to have the row crop guys and the cattle guys working together. We're going to need to have the southern states working with the plain states. I mean, there is so much opportunity. Uh, we have a tendency to focus in areas like biofuels, and that, of course, that's right. But there's also tremendous opportunities from you know traditional uh, farming operations. Uh, that, that our absolutely every single year putting into place better practices, uh, the, you know, that treat our world better than they were a year ago. And so I think we, in many ways, have been leading, uh, this effort, uh, long before the Biden presidency, uh, seemed like it was coming. We need to tell that story, and to the extent that they put into place any kind of incentives, uh, for Im- improved stewardship, we want to make sure uh, that ag has a seat at the table in putting those together and that ag has a, a real opportunity to be able to uh, you know, capitalize on those.
0: I respect Senator Bozeman's statement, uh, who will either be the ranking member or the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, that he wants to make sure that farmers profit more from this than those people who are trading carbon credits.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think he's exactly right. I, mean, I think we all all get uh, you know, frustrated with some of these markets. Uh, with people who, uh, you know, are just playing with paper. And, uh, you know, there's a role for them, right? I mean, we all understand uh, how much they can help with something like price discovery or the fluidity of a market, but uh, he said it exactly right. Let's make sure the structure helps the people who are out uh, taking care of working lands.
0: So the president-elect has suggested that the U.S. will rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. And if I listen to a statement uh, from uh, Mr. Kerry, suggesting that the US wouldn't just re-enter the uh, accord but it would push to reform and to do even more than perhaps had been agreed to before does this have a downside for the US whether industry or jobs or coal or or what's to be gained or lost in this accord
1: Well, details matter. I mean, the reality is the Paris Accords have not been particularly successful, and I don't even know that you can find people who would take the other side of that argument. I mean, the the reality is that the the emissions from the signatories have gone up, in some cases dramatically, uh, since the agreement was signed. And, you know, this matters. I mean, carbon matters. I mean, I don't want to poo-poo these efforts, but it does seem to me that, uh, you know, the, the, the fork in the path before us is, you know, are we going to rely on, on the economy, uh, the economies of scarcity or the economies of, of abundance and investment to deal with this problem? And what I mean by that is, you know, we can all put on a cardigan and turn down the thermostat and, and tell farmers and ranchers and citizens that they've got to drive 15 percent less. And, and frankly, those types of efforts have not shown to be particularly effective in places like Europe that have adopted them. Uh, that's sort of the economy of scarcity, right? We're going to do with less. We, You need to do with less. To me, the way we really are going to unlock the solutions to this legitimate problem facing us is through the economies. instead on the other side, of investment and of abundance, of saying we are going to do a lot more in technology. We're going to do a lot more in entrepreneurship. We're going to do a lot more to be able to help people do uh, better practices. And uh, that is the way you solve environmental problems. And frankly, that's why America... Uh, in, the, in recent years, has uh, reduced its emissions more than the next eight countries, uh, the reducers, that uh, combined. And we need to continue to lead that. It's going to come through innovation and investment. I mean, I know that.
0: You mentioned the 2023 Farm Bill. So if we look in retrospect to the 18, one of the biggest scraps was over nutrition. And while i am not seeing a lot of headlines about it, I have to believe this Biden administration will spend time talking about hunger and will be talking about SNAP and perhaps reform. Do you see nutrition reform before the Farm Bill, and what do you expect from this administration on uh, everything from school meals to the hungry?
1: Well, we do need reform in this nutrition space. We don't want uh, people going hungry. We're a rich enough country. We don't need to have people go hungry. But, you know, I, I mean, growing up, I was on these programs. I mean, I understand them. I'm the ranking member on the committee that oversees SNAP. I mean, I, this is this is a true passion of mine. Uh, but the reforms that are needed were the kinds of reforms that President Trump was putting into place and that, uh, frankly, my colleagues uh, on the Ag Committee were resisting. I mean, if you are able-bodied, uh, if you don't have any dependents at home, uh, we need you to work. I mean, we need you. We need you out here in the world. I mean, it, it's going to give you dignity. It's going to give you economic opportunity. Work is not punishment. Work is opportunity. And, of course, that we need to have lots of exceptions. If you're in an area with high unemployment, I get it. Not a problem. If you're disabled, hey, I get it. If you're 70 years old, hey, I get it. If you've got a young child at home, hey, I get it. None of those people have been required under the Trump administration rules to go work uh, 20 hours a week. And so, yes, reform is needed. I I mean, I I hope you'll forgive me if I'm somewhat skeptical that uh, the Biden administration will continue those reforms. I think when they talk about reforms, they're probably going to mean just putting a lot more money into those programs. And, again, we don't want people to go hungry But if we want to fundamentally bend the curve of hunger in this country, it's going to come through education. It's going to come through work. And those are the reforms that continue to be needed.
0: I'm asking for your insight on this particular area. Some are calling now for Marsha Fudge to be Secretary of Agriculture. How would you respond to such a move?
1: Well, Marsha and I have... uh... Uh, worked closely together. I mean, she's the, the chairman, uh, chairwoman of, of the committee that I'm the ranking member of on, on nutrition and oversight. And she is uh, savvy and she's hard-nosed. Uh, she's smart. She knows the issues. You know, my my concern with Marsha as Secretary of Ag, you know, wouldn't come from a competence perspective for sure. It would come from a focus perspective insofar as I think she would admit that when uh, her real passion on the Ag Committee comes from nutrition. And there is not production agriculture in her district. And to me, of course, the Secretary of Ag needs to have a passion for nutrition, no doubt. But they also need to have a passion for the men and women who are out there busting their ass every single day, uh, working hours that most Americans can't comprehend and certainly have never lived. They need to understand the brutal economic environment these men and women are sometimes subjected to and the level of complexity and, sophistic- and sophistication that is required of them if they have any chance of being successful. And I think a Secretary of Ag who doesn't fully understand 360 degrees of what is required of that Secretary of Ag job is not going to do the best possible job and listen i get it you know president biden is going to appoint somebody very different to the secretary of ag than dusty johnson would i mean elections have consequences but i would tell you somebody like heidi heitkamp would just uh, i would be more comfortable with that because i think she understands uh, all sides of this equation um in a way that many other candidates don't
0: congressman let's focus on agriculture in 2021 and specifically on the hill do you think ag will suffer because of the close relationship that it appeared to have with the previous administration?
1: Uh, I certainly hope not. Uh, I mean, I, I, in the ag space, I think generally we have been pretty good about not holding grudges. And my expectation would be that uh, President Biden's trade team, his ag team, uh, his nutrition team, they're going to they're going to have come from from this world. You know they're going to understand that uh, you know biofuels is not an R or a D issue. Uh, They're going to understand. uh, I think that if we want to have uh, affordable food for the world, uh, this is not going to be the time to settle scores. Uh, You know, time will tell. But at this point, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic that uh, it's not going to be a
0: tit for tat. If you followed this agriculture trail for very long, you know that the renewable fuel policy of the country has been one of the sticking points, not just in the Trump administration, but in administrations before. Left on the table are the small refinery exemptions, and left on the table are the, uh, the uh, RFS volume obligations for the years to come. Uh, what do you see from renewable fuel policy? What do you hope for uh, in this new administration?
1: Yeah, and this, uh, the whole SRE's uh, challenge and frustration has been a good evidence about how biofuels is not an R versus D deal. Uh, I mean, you sometimes, I mean, uh, clearly in, in the Republican coalition, you get a certain number of oil guys who have been pretty skeptical or worse of biofuels. And then you get a lot of uh, rural, uh, you know, Republicans uh, and, and farm and ag leaders who, who love what biofuels brings to the energy table, and so there's been a fight within the Republican tent and, and there's been a fight within the Democratic tent where clearly you've got um, on the D side some really more aggressive environmental activists for whom burning anything in an internal combustion engine is terrible and 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 of course you know I disagree with them but but um I'm hopeful that uh, in a Biden administration, I think the more pragmatic voices about how to tackle carbon and the incredible role that biofuels can play in a cleaner energy future, that they're going to be a Senate, that they're going to take the foreground. Uh, if if President Biden has, you know, die hard, hardcore environmental activists calling the shots on how this economy is structured, how energy is used, and how food is grown, Uh, God have mercy on all of us, because it's going to be a rocky road.
0: The Biden administration is mentioning that it's going to offer a bill that would bring legalization for the 11 million uh, illegals that are in the country. Can immigration reform come before this Congress and see success?
1: Oh, you know, I am generally an optimist about just about everything. Uh, I kind of think it's one of my defining characteristics. But even I, as a newbie, only being around two years, have grown cynical because I've just heard so many times people proclaim that, "Oh, hey, I got this idea that's going to bring us together on immigration." Hey, don't worry, I got this deal on guest worker program. Hey, don't worry, I get you know I got a deal on how we're going to deal with you know DACA. And and I, there are so many well-intentioned people who think there is a tremendous amount of common ground to be seized in this uh, arena. And none of them have really come together. So you listen, I, I'll listen to anybody. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I do feel like there is some need for progress in some of these arenas. I mean, clearly, where we're at now from an illegal immigration perspective, uh, I mean, I don't think anybody would say this works. Um, what we saw a year ago uh, in border crossings from the Triangle countries was just not. Uh, that's not good. I mean, no matter who you are, that, that's not good. But. If the Biden administration is going to get anything done, if they really feel like they have a shot, they cannot play to their base. I mean, we are going to be in an era of divided government, I believe. Uh, it's highly, highly likely that the Republicans win at least one, if not both, of those Georgia Senate seats. And in the era of divided government, uh, in an in a Senate where 60 votes is required, uh, if if Joe Biden is going to get anything done, it is going to be by making furiously angry a lot of people on his left flank. And I just don't know if that's where the president's head is at. I don't know, or the president-elect. I don't know if that's where his heart is at. But if he puts forward a proposal that is embraced by his far left, that thing is dead.
0: Congressman, we want to thank you very much for taking time to spend with us here on this edition of Open Mike. It is Open Mic, and today you have the last word.
1: Oh, I just uh, thank you for what you do for ag. I mean, we are a community that transcends so many of the typical food fights that we see in Washington, D.C. And it's one of the reasons I fall like the Dickens to get on the Ag Committee is that, I mean, I I, I want to get stuff done. I don't just want to fight. Uh, I want to make progress uh, rather than just make a point. And part of what makes that Ag community in D.C. work is that we've got an Ag media that isn't just looking at grabbing the most salacious headlines. I mean, we see from all of these other uh, media outlets that that they are they are more successful if they focus on a ranker, and by and large, uh, the the universe of uh, ag journalists are focused on educating uh, the men and women who are out there working every day, and it's that focused on education rather than combat that ultimately makes DC function a whole lot better. So, thanks for doing what you do.
0: Our thanks to South Dakota Representative Dusty Johnson, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance, America's sugar farmers practicing sustainability to protect the environment and support jobs, communities, and consumers. Learn more at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.